It's the Saturday Friends Club. Hello, everyone. It's a Saturday again. We're in studio. Yep. We're doing it live. Hey, everyone. It's the Saturday Friends Club. We're your online podcast for talking about stuff that you probably should have seen before. Uh, let's see. Uh, around the horn, we got Josh. Sabrina's here. Hello. We've got a new friend, too. We've got three chairs in this week. You can talk. Hello. We got. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Jesse. I am a game developer, and I've worked on uh, most recently League of Legends and Dauntless. And I'm a huge nostalgia file. Uh, went to film school back in the day, and love talking about nostalgic properties, and especially the films we're going to talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a friend of a, a bunch of our other friends, Kyle, and a few others that have been on the show before. Um, but yeah, we were just, we're happy to get you in, uh, also because we really have to put out some episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm super excited, especially when I saw, uh, Wonderful and Schlock, uh, both come up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, these, we, we, we generally, uh, you know, work in really great movies. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> oh yeah, the, the three that we have here, uh, with war games, eight legged freaks and, uh, Final Fantasy, the spirits within, <laughs> So get ready for three episodes of fun here. It's a gauntlet that runs all over the place. <laughs> I thought we were going like we try we try and make some form of like connection between all three, but there's really not going to be any like we almost had one with Joshua's being in all the movies. Yeah. Like you also mentioned something about there being like adults not paying attention to what kids are saying. Yep, that's so, in two of them at least. Yeah, if we would have <laughs> if we would have gone back and done the Goonies, we would have been able to get that. I yeah. mean, technically. In the spirits within, it's the military not listening to scientists. Oh, so yeah, we can we can put dumb military yeah, across dumb military, the board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't believe me. We appreciate all you armed forces people. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. As said at the very top, uh, we are going to be doing war games today. War games is Jesse's choice. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit um, why War Games. So War Games uh, came out when I was a kid. Um, I think the first time I saw it was probably when I was about 10 or 11. So, uh, you know, I had a 90s girl crush on Matthew Broderick. Oh, wow. Although looking back on it and re-watching the movie... That crush does not persist into adulthood. <laughs> um, I he's, think he's just a smooth-faced little boy. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like a you know I'm a preteen sort of movie crush. Um, but I was obsessed with movies back then that had anyone who could hack into a computer or you know was trying to discover things about the, the system and the government. I, I was a little punk in the making a back then. A little rebel. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was a big punk in the making. So, I you know, I was really into any movie that had the, like, we're going to investigate authority or we're going to somehow uh, prove them wrong. Or teach them some lesson. And so. and you bringing that up just reminded me of a movie that is like in the 80s. And that exact pure like a, a movie that I completely forgot about until you brought it up. Flight of the Nav or Flight of the Navigator. Yes. That yeah. is a movie that is so up that alley of just like it's a nerdy kid. But he gets this like power to like control yeah. a spaceship and everything. 
Well, and so Matthew Broderick in in the movie, he's you know he's really interested in computers, and he's uh you know he's learned in his bedroom how to use dial tones to call into computers in 1983 yep because back <laughs> then you could you know call into a system by mimicking dial tones yes tell the millennials how it used to work yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we had to use these phones and dial tones if someone called you they could kick you offline which was like the worst <laughs> insult ever you could be in the middle of doing something and be like <gasps> Mom, who's calling? I was downloading JPEGs. <laughs> it was almost done. <laughs> but yeah, so he accidentally calls into a government supercomputer uh, at the Department of Defense. And he thinks, you know, oh, I'm going to play some games with this scientist brilliant supercomputer. Uh, but his games go horribly wrong. <laughs> so... Hence the title, War Games. Yeah. Uh, he accidentally connects to a computer that wants to launch nuclear missiles at Russia and at the U.S. Yeah, well, I mean, it just, it just wants to play a game for yeah, the most part. Yeah, it wants to play a game. It doesn't realize it's actually, you know, been recently plugged into real nuclear mi missile silos. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, what starts as a fun, oh, I'm going to play a game with this supercomputer slowly turns into oh are we gonna go to defcon one <laughs> oh god oh god we're all going to die yeah oh yeah. god we're all gonna die um and yeah i i picked this movie because i was thinking about it recently believe it or not because the opening of the movie uh believe it or not is still pretty relevant so they you know they go to a missile silo to show the um officers who their job is if they get the order they need to launch the missiles and you know one of the guys in there is having a, a question of heart mm -hmm. you know he's like do i launch this missile do i you know change the world as we know it by pressing the button even though he's gotten the order and the order turns out to be a test but you know i think it's very relevant uh, even today, and and actually keeps the movie from being too dated because I know we still have people who hold this position even today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and much of our nuclear silos I've I've overheard still have some of the original computer systems in place. Oh and wow! So yeah. Watching this movie as an adult is very different than watching it as a kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as a kid, it's like, yeah, cool, little hacky kids trying to play video games, and whoops, real stakes are, and then you're just like, oh, no, this is life and death right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a weird movie with, I think the tone is very weird as well, because you, Matthew Broderick is this, like, you know, as you said, he's a fast and loose kid who's like, not really he doesn't care a lot about school he you know we see he gets an f on one of his papers in the beginning because he just doesn't care about it you know he's really smart obviously and he's you know a brilliant kid who's got all this advanced computer equipment but school is boring and he doesn't care about it so you know we we see his kind of disregard for any sort of authority and he's trying to impress a girl like mm -hmm. he even offers to Hack and change her grades. Mm -hmm. She's yeah. like, change it back. This is this is how I come on to you. Hey, <laughs> all right, uh, Sabrina. Uh, did you have any past experience with war games? 
No, this was my first time seeing okay. it. Okay, and likewise, it was my first time. It oh, was nice. definitely one of those like, oh, I probably should have seen this at some point since it did sound up like that techie alley for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like, uh, it got lost in the shuffle of everything else. Okay, we'll tell you what. Let's do this. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, having to use uh, phones to actually connect to the internet. <laughs> let's talk about, um, you know, government supercomputers controlling all the nuclear warheads on an entire continent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about, um, you know, actually arcades that are working. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about war games. Skybird, this is Dropkick with a Red Dash Alpha message in two parts. Stand by Red Dash message. Alpha. Staying back. Romeo, Oscar, November, authentication. All right, let's see. War Games is... Pull you down you a little bit. Uh, War Games is a 1983 American Cold War science fiction film written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter F. Parks and directed by Jan, uh, John Badham. Uh, stars Matthew Broderick and Dabney Coldman, John Wood, and Ali Sheely. Film follows uh, David Brightman, uh, a.k.a. Broderick, a young hacker who unwittingly accesses WOPR, the War Operations Plan Response, a United States military supercomputer originally programmed to predict possible outcomes of nuclear war. Lightman gets WOPR or Whopper, I'll go ahead and say the shortened firm, uh, to run a nuclear war simulation, believing it to be a computer game. Uh, the computer now tied into nuclear weapons control systems and unable to tell the difference between simulations and reality, attempts to start World War III. This is a great kids film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I think you... That's exactly you. You hit the nail on the head. So this is a oddly pitched as a family movie, mm -hmm. um, which is really weird because it's a family movie about almost accidentally killing everyone with nukes. Well, especially with that beginning, because when I was yeah. watching the beginning, and I'm like, I know this is supposed to be like a kids' film, but this is not starting off like you would think a kids' film would start off as. Yeah, even in the first few minutes. I mean, if you're not feeling the, you know, intensity of the situation, they they do a fairly good job of painting the picture for you, right? Like, yeah. the, the look on the actor's face when he's, like, been ordered to, you know, press the button. Mm -hmm. And the guy next to him is like, you gotta do it, you know? Yelling at him and pulling, yeah, out, a pulling out a gun, pulling out a gun. Yeah, I mean that's he's been ordered to do it, right? So um, that's his that is his sworn duty is to carry out his orders. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember seeing that as a ten or eleven year old and being pretty terrified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, even though I think at that age I didn't understand the magnitude of what nuclear weapons could do, I was still like, whoa, you know, yeah, this is intense. Like this is a <laughs> You know, and looking back on it as an adult, I'm like, my parents let me watch this. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like it's nothing like an actual violent film right, where yeah. it's just like, oh, there's blood and gore. Like, there's no actual injury in this film, but right. there's just like the stakes of 
the entire annihilation of a planet on the line. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you notice they never, no one ever goes out of their way to fully describe the devastation until almost the end of the movie. Yeah, the professor. Uh, so that that's an interesting. I think they kind of you know dance around the severity of the consequences for most of the film because mm-hmm. they're just like Matthew Broderick is wacky. <laughs> He's trying to impress his his girlfriend. Yeah, like, let's let's nuke what was it? Uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. And... <laughs> ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, of course that'd be the first place you would send a nuke. And they they you know they're laughing because they they think it's a computer game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I gotta say, as a game developer and as someone who plays a lot of video games, I don't know if I've ever said the sentence like "Let's nuke Las Vegas" mm-hmm. and then you know laughed so innocently (laughs) yeah well i mean there is so this brings up there is a video game that is somewhat close to this i don't know if you've ever seen defcon um and it is a lot of hey you're going to be going through defcon you know five to one right and thermonuclear war is going to happen um and it is Probably one of the most unnerving games. Yeah. <laughs> because even while all this bad stuff is happening, it's just like pretty quiet. And like the worst that you ever hear is like some coughing or maybe somebody like crying in the background. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. It's yeah. real. It's real heavy stuff. You're just like, oh, uh, a nuke just hit here and millions of people died. And there's just somebody going. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and that's, that's oh why God. this movie really sent me for a loop when I rewatched it because I, I honestly hadn't seen it since I was probably about 11. So I did not remember how much the tone really jumps all over the place, you know, throughout the course of the film. Because you've got that like typical high school scene in the beginning yeah, with kids failing and then they're making, you know, dirty jokes about asexual reproduction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Like, it's this very like ah wacky high school comedy kind of setup, and then you know, within what ten minutes, he's like, "Yeah, let's play this nuclear code video game. This is gonna be great." <laughs> and you know, the film—I mean, it changes pretty rapidly from there once he realizes, "Oh, I'm talking to an actual supercomputer, mm-hmm. and what the hell am I gonna do because I can't exactly." Roll in there and say, "Hey guys, I uh, hacked into your computer and uh, <laughs> it's gonna launch nukes." <laughs> he does uh, try to some extent, but yeah. uh, but eventually it's just like, "What are we gonna tra- uh, you know trust this hacker kid that pretty much can MacGyver his way out of a ton of situations too?" Oh my god, yeah, the, the keypad <laughs> yeah. doors and stuff yeah. like that, and it gets a little ridiculous, right? Because you there are like what three times he gets captured or something like that as he's like on the tour and then trying to like sneak around yeah. and you're like okay filmmakers we get it no one <laughs> no one listens to him like we get it he's he's trying and they're they're not going to listen um there are a few scenes where as a righteous you know 11 year old i was like man those adults are stupid <laughs> guys are morons and and, you know now i'm like well it's it's believable right like they're just they're not gonna pay any attention to this kid they've got you know more serious shit to worry about but and and i caveat a big but uh he does say some things that i think 
had I heard them coming out of anyone's mouth, I would have stopped and been like, well, maybe we should at least interrogate him. Yeah. Well, he did hack it. He did figure out some like BS way to hack into your system. Like right. he knows something. Exactly. Like there, there's only so far that you can stretch like the uh, dumb authority figure motif. And yeah. I think that's a lot of why they put in all those scenes where he's just like sneaking around and MacGyvering everything because they're trying to distract you from the fact that like, okay, maybe they would have listened to him a little, right? Yeah. <laughs> they got to make them look extra bumbling. <laughs> I mean, especially because it's obvious he's just a kid. You, yeah. can't, you can't really think a kid... I mean, very rarely is there going to be a child who m had malicious intent when they did something. Usually, when children decide to do something, they do something because they think, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm not supposed to do it, but they don't think it's going to, like, put people's lives in danger. Right. Yeah. Oh, sure. Like, the main reason he gets into the supercomputer anyway is because he's looking for games. And yeah. lo and behold, he found some. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. And, uh... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, I was just going to go ahead and run through the plot here, and we can uh, go ahead and just hit up the uh, the anything that comes to mind as we go along. Uh, so, plot, as told by Wikipedia. <laughs> During a surprise drill of a nuclear attack, many United States strategic missile wing controllers prove unwilling to turn the key required to launch a missile strike. Such refusals convince John McKendick and other systems engineers at NORAD that missile launch control centers must be automated without human intervention. Control is given to a NORAD supercomputer, the Whopper, programmed to continuously run war simulations and learn over time. And it takes up an entire room. <laughs> it looks like a big stupid thing with blinky lights. Yep. <laughs> Uh, David Lightman, a bright but unmotivated Seattle high school student and hacker, uses his, wow, they actually point out the computer, M, uh, the IMSAI 8080 computer to break into the school district's com wow. uh, computer system and change his grades. <laughs> he does the same for his friend and classmate, Jennifer Mack. Later, while war dialing numbers in Seattle, California to find a computer game company, he uh, connects with a system that he does not identify itself. Asking for games, he finds a list that starts with chess, checkers, backgammon, poker, as well as titles like theater-wide biotoxic and chemical warfare and global thermal nuclear war, but cannot proceed further. <laughs> Although the computer does continually offer, why not just play a nice game of chess? <laughs> the computer... I, I do want to point out the computer is very keen on playing chess. Yes. It comes up multiple times. Computer's like, I, I think a nice game of chess would be preferable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you certain, sir? You want to play this? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. The two hacker friends, uh, so he cannot proceed further. Two hacker friends explain the concept of a backdoor password and suggest tracking down the Falcon, referenced in Falcon's Maze, the first game listed. Yep. David discovers that Stephen Falcon, which is an interesting name if you think about it, uh, was an early artificial intelligence researcher and guesses correctly that his dead son's name, Joshua, is the password. Stephen Falcon sounds a lot like Stephen Hawking. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, gets the password. David does not know that the Sunnyville phone number connects to Whopper at the che Cheyenne Mountain Complex. He starts a game of global thermal nuclear war, playing as the Soviet Union. Yep. 
The computer starts a simulation that briefly convinces the military personnel at NORAD that an actual Soviet nuclear missiles are inbound. While they defuse the situation, Whopper nonetheless continues the simulation to trigger the scenario and win the game, as it does not understand that there is a difference between reality and a simulation. Yeah, he, uh, he, there's actually a great moment there where he's talking to the computer. He's, you know, he has this like typing conversation back and forth. And they do the thing where they hook up the uh, computer to a text to voice speaker Mm -hmm. so you can, you know, hear the computer because it gives a little more weight for the audience to actually hear the computer, you know, quote unquote speaking, even though it's not really speaking. And, And he says, you know, is this a game or is it real? what's the difference <laughs> right the computer yeah. the computer has not been programmed to understand you know concepts that are pretty complex right like even if you are a really good engineer that's a complicated subject to tackle with a computer <laughs> yeah what's yeah. what's the difference between a real game of chess and a simulated game of chess to a computer right like that, it's a game of chess regardless and the outcome's the, the same right the computer wins or the computer loses and that's all they know yeah that's they, all they understand they have no understanding of like oh no these are actual n- missiles for actual people in an actual place yeah <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, moving here, it continuously, it continuously feeds face, fake data, such as a Soviet bomber incursions and submarine deployments to NORAD, pushing them to raise DEFCON level and toward a retaliation that could start World War Three. And it's it's pretty convincing because um, so the computer something that the they uh, engineers did when they built the computer was they decided to hook it up to every single monitor in NORAD. So something this film does pretty convincingly is the computer takes over all the monitors at NORAD and starts showing, you know, the simulation. So you're looking at this giant room full of generals and, you know, silo experts and technicians and all these people, and they're all staring at this massive wall of monitors. Mm -hmm. And they're all showing that Russia is about to potentially nuke the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they do a good job because, I mean, there's a lot of movies that, you know, show computers uh, taking uh, power over the people who made them. But I think this movie does a really good job of making it, you know, hey, everything's on a giant screen right in front of your eyes. It's not complicated to look at. It, you know, it looks pretty legit mm-hmm. <laughs> to anyone who doesn't know what NORAD looks like, yeah. right? Like, uh, I think even today, like, I have no idea what NORAD looks like. It, it could very well be this. Funny mm-hmm. enough, I'll add a diversion to this. The filmmakers did not know what NORAD looked like either. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because they weren't allowed access in there for probably some obvious reasons. Yes, um, yeah. The interesting thing is that the actual set itself cost about a million dollars with that giant, like, bulkhead door and the, the okay. creation of NORAD there. And uh, as they said, uh, the NORAD Command Center was built for the movies, the most expensive set ever constructed up to at that time. Um, The producers were not allowed to actually look at NORAD, so they had to imagine what it looked like. And the DVD commentary director, John Badham, notes that an actual NORAD Command Center isn't nearly as elaborate in the one as the film and refers to the movie set as NORAD's wet dream of itself. (laughs) 
it's, it's great though, right? Because you you know you want your audience to be on the edge of the seats, right? Yeah. And so you're like, oh, look at this giant screen full of doom. Yeah, <laughs> just all the details, all the and you know, just like NORAD itself is just like four like compact machines just right. sitting next to each other, just like yellowed and disgusting even till today. Right. <laughs> and and something else interesting is I think they took some cues from uh space. Uh, command movies because it does look a lot like sets that resemble oh, NASA yeah. as well. Yeah, it does. You know, you've got those like two rows of computers all facing a giant screen, and you know that's. I think audiences had come to expect that mm-hmm. type of setup. So I think honestly, it was a pretty brilliant move for them to design the set like that because it was super believable, right? Every yeah. everyone would be totally sold on that being the NORAD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's see, get back over here. So, David learns the true nature of his actions from a news broadcast, and FBI agents arrest him and take him to NORAD. He realizes that Whopper is behind the NORAD alerts, and because he fails to convince McKittick, uh, he faces espionage charges. Uh, David escapes NORAD by joining a tourist group, because you can have a tourist group go through NORAD. (laughs) Go through NORAD, yeah. (laughs) Especially during the Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> Especially during the Cold mm-hmm. War. <laughs> Hello, can I go and see your missile command center? Thank you. It actually reminded me a lot of Star Trek Four when he's like, do you know where I could find nuclear vessels? And they're like, oh, I think they're in Alameda. You know, everybody's just... Oh, my God. He's walking around San Francisco. Yeah, Alameda. They're in Alameda. <laughs> go, wow. go, go ask around there, you Russian. <laughs> See how long you'll last. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. David and Jennifer find. Well, hold on. Uh, David escapes NORAD by joining that tourist group, and with Jennifer's help, travels to the Oregon Island where Falcon lives. Yep. David and Jennifer find that Falcon has become despondent and believes that nuclear war is inevitable, and that as futile as the game of tic tac toe between two experienced players. The teenagers convince Falcon that he should return to NORAD and stop Whopper, but not. Until so so there's a there's a couple really interesting scenes here that I want to point out. One is that um, you know they go to see the scientist for the first time and and he lives in this you know beautiful lake house right mm-hmm. just absolutely gorgeous lake house uh, on an island. But also you know his son has died and he's understandably pretty apathetic at this point. You know, you, you get that read right away, like, oh, yeah, this guy's really apathetic. But he starts showing them a slideshow, of all things, <laughs> a nature slideshow. And he, he's like, you know, extinction happens to everything. It's mm-hmm. inevitable. And and the kids are like, dude, what's your deal? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they're just, you know, they're not having it. They're like, this is insane. So uh, after arguing with him a bit, they run down to the beach and realize he doesn't have a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so there's and how did we get here? Yeah, exactly. There's this very weird uh transition scene where they're on the beach and the scene I think only exists so that there can be a kiss because they go down to the beach and they're arguing and the girl's like, "Oh, I can swim. Uh, you know, let's swim for it. We have to stop this." I don't know how fast she thinks she can swim, but you know, it's about what a 2-mile swim as he mm-hmm. points out. 
there's this very like pointless argument. It's the water in Oregon, which, you know, being in the bay itself, we know that water's cold. It's really cold, yeah. <laughs> so that would be bad. David can't swim, apparently, on top of everything else. He's like, I never learned. I thought I had time, right? Mm -hmm. So they have this very weird argument, and that leads us into the film's kiss. And it feels so awkward and weird. Like, I I get that it's the end of the world, and and they're under a lot of pressure, right? You know, and they're, and they're, they're really emotional, and they're arguing, but... This has to be one of the most awkward kisses in cinematic history because it just it's just weird. Well, yeah, the, yeah, there's it's weird there. I mean, a lot of the stuff on the beach itself is weird. So yeah. like moments later, a helicopter shows up. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah. do, it follows helicopter light logic. Yeah. <laughs> where if you are in the beam of a helicopter's light, you immediately cower under it. Yep. <laughs> Like, I just don't understand. It's They're so like, weird. They think the helicopters come to arrest them, right? And so they start panicking, and there's a lot of chaos. And honestly, I think a lot of that scene could have been rearranged or just cut altogether. Yeah. It was really only there because they're like, oh, right, this is a family slash young adult movie. So we're going to put a kiss in there because our two heroes have to kiss, question mark. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense anytime later. So here we're at the climax. Yeah. Why not now? Yeah. Right. Um, and magically, they're able to suddenly convince Professor Falcon that he should change his mind, even though they don't spend a whole lot of time really convincing him. Yeah. It. it he sort of turns around. I mean, you could argue it's because he sees young love. Maybe that's what the filmmakers were going for to, like, make him less cynical or whatever. But that particular part of the movie doesn't work very well. No. It's kind of like it's this very awkward part of the movie. It, it is a part that there's just a lot of weird stuff. When it, when the scene first starts and they are being attacked by a pterodactyl. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I don't know what we just came into, but yeah. there's about a 15 seconds, there's just a pterodactyl, and you're like, what? <laughs> well, and that, I, honestly, I would blame those scenes on, that's probably why the movie just doesn't get a lot of viewing anymore, because, it, it, I mean, you know, there are some interesting subject matter in the beginning of the film is is pretty good at getting you on board, but man, you got to make it through that middle third, and, yeah. and that's a tough that's a tough third to get through, to get to yeah. the ending. I mean, especially, like, after they kiss and then the helicopter shows up and then they're freaking out and trying to run away from the helicopter and the helicopter's chasing them. And finally, you realize it's the stupid doctor and there's a pilot in there with him. It's like, you guys, when you magically showed up in your really loud, scary-looking helicopter, you couldn't have immediately went over the intercom and said, hey, guys, it's me. I changed my mind. Let's go. Get on. Yeah, no, yeah. let me just chase you when you're obviously freaked out by right. showing up in a helicopter. Yeah, exactly. So that was a waste of time. Yeah. No, me and Falcon thought it would be fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how many times do you get to chase somebody with a helicopter? Come well, on. And it's that very classic, you know, tons of movies in the 80s have that type of scene mm -hmm. right where you're on the run and you're trying to add that dramatic tension but this movie just doesn't pull it off yeah <laughs> they just can't pull it off like you know a lot of the other classics of the 80s like et is you know probably one of the best films to show the government being 
silly on a number of levels about how they handle the situation with the family and, you know, with the alien and the whole yeah. nine yards. But they, you know, Spielberg knows how to build dramatic tension. This this director, although John Bottoms directed some great movies. I love, you know, Johnny Five Alive. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, Short short Circuit, He's he's directed a lot of great stuff. I just think this is a... Uh, one of the weak points, perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So let's see. The computer is staging a massive Soviet first strike with hundreds of missiles, submarines, and bombers. Believing the attack to be genuine, NORAD prepares to retaliate. Falcon, David, and Jennifer convince the military officials to cancel the second strike and ride out the attack. Whopper tries to launch the missiles itself, however, using a brute force attack to obtain the launch codes. Yeah, this this part of the movie is the part I would recommend watching, even if you're not going to sit through the rest of the film, um, just because it is an interesting lesson in computer logic, if nothing else. Um, It's also really intense, too. It is. Um, They do a good job with this particular uh, sequence of scenes because, you know, you have them. Basically, when they go to DEFCON 1, uh, they decide they're going to shut down all entrances to the mountain because they believe they're going to be nuked, right? So Mm -hmm. they've got, like, you know, blast doors, the whole nine yards. Uh, So you see them, you know, driving up in the Jeep, trying to make it in before they close the whole mountain down. And when they get in there, you know, Falcon... He says to Falcon, like, you picked a hell of a day to visit. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. He's there to visit. He's not there because he knows you're going to DEFCON 1, yeah. right? Like, uh, you know, he comes in and he he's trying to explain to them, hey, like, this is a computer. Like, does this make sense to you? Think about it. You know, would the Soviet Union, unprovoked, suddenly decide to launch everything they had into this lose-lose scenario? Yeah. Because it is, you know, as they discuss, it's it's mutually assured destruction, right? They know that they're going to nuke the crap out of each other, and there's not really going to be anyone left. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the general, he's really hesitant. He's talking to the president on the phone. You know, you get that famous president phone scene, like in all those movies where the president has to get involved, even though they don't actually cast a president in this film. Mm-hmm. You have to have the honorary procedure right because that's what we believe would happen Mm -hmm. um and so they you know he says think about it you know general does it make sense so you know they ride out the attack and it yeah it turns out not to be an attack but the computer you know the computer doesn't possess the knowledge of (laughs) sort of what makes sense right like you can't give a computer enough context to understand what would make sense in that situation because, oh, wait, everybody on both sides is pretty much going to die, <laughs> right? Like, how do, how do you teach a computer that? Yeah. And, the, and the expectation was that the war room was going to logically launch the missiles themselves, seeing right. what was coming for them. So it was just waiting for them to actually just go through the procedure to fire them back. Right. Um, and so ultimately, when they don't do anything, it goes like, well, I'm going to lose if you don't you know, actually fire these back. Exactly. So I'm going to take over control so I can actually fire these. Yep. And, he, you know, you see, this is where the scene gets really interesting because they create this simulation of him going through and trying a giant series of codes in order, uh, which is fairly convincing because you can, you know, you can write a computer program to run through every possible combination of 
letters and numbers until you get something that actually works. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this case, the computer somehow figures them out and gets combinations like, or excuse me, confirmation one by one. So somehow it knows. Yeah. Like there's a little weirdness there, but that's, you know, the audience isn't going to know that. Yeah, we needed a countdown of some form. Well, they (laughs) said that it was a program that was built into the computer in case there was no one around. Oh, to launch. To launch. Yeah, that's what they said it was. That makes a little more sense. Because, yeah, somehow he knows, the computer knows. And Falcon says, oh, no, you know, it's getting all these numbers one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we get the great tr- uh, dramatic buildup to the kid. David is the one who realizes the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, he's thinking of, thinking back, thinking back to his tic-tac-toe. A game which ultimately, if anybody knows the actual rules of how to play, is a game that constantly is a stalemate. Uh, so, without humans at the control centers as a safeguard, the computer will trigger that mass that mass launch. All attempts to log in and order the Whopper to cancel the countdown fail. Disconnecting the computer is discussed and dismissed, as that fail safe would just launch all the weapons at once. Yeah. Uh, Falcon and David direct the computer to then play tic tac toe against itself. The results in a long string of draws. This forces the computer to learn the concept of futility in no win scenarios. Whopper obtains the missile code, but before launching, it cycles through all the nuclear war scenarios it has devised, finding that they, too, all result in stalemates. Having discovered the concept of mutually assured destruction, a.k.a. winner colon none, (laughs) the computer tells Falcon that it has concluded that nuclear war is a strange game, in which the only winning move is not to play. Yep. Mm -hmm. Whopper relinquishes control of NORAD and the missiles and offers to play a nice game of chess. <laughs> a nice game of chess. That was really like a cute little nod back to the fact that I wanted to play chess before. Yeah. It, it yeah. comes full circle to, to <laughs> hey, how about that nice game of chess? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, chess is a really good, uh, it's, a, it's a nice nod for them to use chess as well because we had both Soviet and U.S. chess masters at the time. It was a common game uh, that got a lot of international attention during the Cold War because we had, a com- you know, people were trying to program computers who could beat our top, world's top chess players, including the champion, and uh, I believe he was from the Soviet Union at the time. And uh, so there's lots of interesting cultural hallmarks of the 80s in this movie. Um, which I really appreciate, I think, going back and watching it, because having grown up in the 80s and 90s, uh, I, you know, it's sometimes we forget that people were really afraid of both computers and the Internet when they first came about because, they, you know, they were a big unknown. We didn't know what the technology could do. We, we didn't really fully understand how it worked. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like there were all these, you know, very and, and that's ripe territory for filmmakers because you can convince an audience of a lot of different things when they don't fully understand a piece of technology. So yeah. that, you know, that's probably why even today I love 80s movies. You know, I love the anti I love the like questioning authority i love the unknowns that they attempt to dissect Mm -hmm. uh you know especially now working in game development um sometimes i like to joke that 
you know, ignorance is bliss because sometimes you wish you didn't know what you know about networking. You know how the sausage is made. Yeah, sometimes it's just nice to know, you know, like not know about how data is collected by apps you use, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes you're just like, "Eh, I wish I didn't know. Yeah. You wish you didn't know how people's, you know, personal data was bucketed by, uh, you know, marketing groups, but you do. You totally do. (laughs) Oh, God, I can't unknow. So, yeah, this is one of those very much a product of the 80s, right? If you like 80s movies that have that hallmark of, uh, you know, computers and the Internet back when they were sort of unknown and, and filmmakers could actually tap them for that type of drama. I definitely would recommend it to anyone who's interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, um, some interesting points that I'll make here, just uh, so that you can uh, have a little more appreciation in the movie. Uh, at the very beginning, my, Matthew Broderick is uh, playing some Galaga. Oh, yeah. nice. By yeah, the yeah. way, uh, he actually had uh, Galaxian and Galaga machines delivered to his house, and he practiced for two months. What? So, awesome. he, so he was actually... Doing pretty good, actually game. playing Galaga. Wow. Um, so the scene that we talked about when they were trying to get to the silo at the very end before, you know, World War Three strikes oh, up, yeah, the um, yeah. there's the Jeep. The Jeep actually, like, topples over to its side. That is completely unexpected. Uh, really? That was a that was actually a just accident that happened, but it ended up being such like a a, a good accident that allowed them to just like run in and have right. a good like running scene that they left that in. <laughs> that poor stunt driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap! Yeah. Like no no no, cool. That looks cool. Yeah yeah. That, there's a lot of that in filmmaking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Accidents. Yeah, having been on enough sets now. Uh, both in Vancouver and in LA, I can tell you a surprising number of accidents end up on film. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> they, I mean, they try to do everything by the book. Um, most sets are designed to be very safe. They take all the precautions they can, but hey, we're only human, right? Right. Like, there's only so much we can predict. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, I think the probably long-standing thing is that this was the first movie to actually like show that hacking was a thing. Oh, and it actually nice. caused a large amount of policy changes when it deals with, um, you know, just the power of the personal computer and its ability to, uh, to, you know, be able to go in and affect these remote systems. Hmm. Oh, that's actually really fascinating because I know um, a lot of people cite hackers as the you know, from the 90s is the famous, like, oh, no, people can call into phones. But I'm really glad that someone had the foresight to notice that in the 80s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Long before people were further exploiting it for movies. Yeah. <laughs> as it as it shows here in a February two, uh, 2016 New York Times article reported the movie's ending actually had a significant impact on President Ronald Reagan's understanding of and policy of telecommunications and computer system security and led Reagan pushing for the first federal laws intending to outlaw hacking. Wow. Well, thanks, John Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> So had a had a definitely had an impact in there and uh yeah uh war games um yeah. still like it you know I still like it even though that middle third is such a mess um I think it's worth watching if you're into as I said any kind of 80s tech nostalgia or even just the early days of the internet um and, and you know I think 
the lesson of mutually assured destruction will always be a good lesson to have in a movie. Uh, it's not one we see all that often anymore. Mm -hmm. Th things tend to be, when you see an action movie now, they tend to be more uh, convoluted. Uh, in terms of they don't they don't go for the grand I, I haven't seen like a grand nuclear disaster film in a while other than like horror movies or post-apocalyptic right where yeah. like it's kind of already happened yeah so. or san andreas right. or something like that right yeah yeah and so the disaster movies changed a lot since the 80s but <laughs> uh and yeah i mean Honestly, I'm a little surprised about the trivia you shared where he practiced playing video games because mm -hmm. usually they just film someone good at the game and then they film the actor from the side so that you don't know how bad the actor is at the game. Yeah, he, he at least gave it his honest try. That's honestly, that's above and beyond what normally happens on a set. So well, how, how would you feel about a sequel to War Games? Oh man! A how, sequel, or you mean the remake? Well, Maybe like a reboot. Well, how would you? I like to introduce you to War Games: colon, The Dead Code, released in two thousand and eight. Oh, I did not know this existed. <laughs> hey, let me read you the details here. The United <laughs> States homeland uh, homeland of security is led to believe an American teen hacker planning a terrorist attack simulation game online is a real terrorist out to destroy the U.S. So it's. A soft reboot, I guess. It's something like that. It okay. has 4.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Oh. It's, it features the the uh, wonderful actors Matt Lanter and Amanda Walsh. Oh, my. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you want that, that, uh, that sequel, a.k.a. reboot, it does include Dr. Stephen Falcon. It does. Yeah, so it includes the name of that guy. Okay. So it's a reboot they, of some uh, form. Recast him, I assume. No, or? it's completely different person. Okay. All of okay. them are completely different people. Okay. So <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> go with pass unless <laughs> unless it falls into territory that it's so bad it's good. <laughs> I do love that territory, but I, I get a little nervous about the four, five, and six range because that usually just means it's boring or mm. like, you know slow or or it's just an unnecessary reboot you know right. what i mean like it, it does not do anything unique with the material or or try to like make it uh you know a more updated exploration of the theme how about i read this three out of ten review no. left on imdb <laughs> i can't say that war games the dead code is the worst movie i've ever seen as is one of two decent moments, but I can easily say it's the most transparent movie I've ever seen. Not once did a plot device prevent, present itself without me guessing it 10 minutes before in advance. Ooh. There is no subtlety to anything the movie did, no intelligence evident at all behind the scenes. Every spoken and typed line intent was so glaringly obvious it was impossible to get into the movie. Yikes. So probably a pass on that one. Yeah. Whereas the actual War Games itself actually has some form of smarts to itself right mm -hmm. yeah so. um sabrina what was your feeling i mean it it's a good i think 80s nostalgia movie i mean i do have the question mark if it's really something i would watch with like younger kids mm, yeah. maybe older children who can understand the concept a little better mm -hmm. i wouldn't have my little like little kids watching it um but no i think it, it's like i grew up watching stuff like Short Circuit, E.T. I think it does fall into that realm of 80s nostalgia movie. Yeah. And I do think it's worth watching because it does kind of present 
a very real fear that does still technically exist today of the fact that if we ever did hit World War Three, it would basically be just a war with nukes. Yeah, and I think also there's probably the, the extended point. Not only is it the U.S. and Russia, but there's like 12 different nations that all have nukes, yes. all pointed in different directions. Yes. You have one particular nation that's trying to build a nuke, and why is that important? Why do people care? Huh? Yeah. yeah. I wonder. Um, but yeah, I'm, I still think, you know, first time watching it and everything, it was, uh, I think it was a good time. It was way more intense than I was actually expecting it to be. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of have to expect it to be a little intense considering the fact you're talking about, you know, thermonuclear war. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, if you, if you got the time, I think, um, what, uh, you know, uh, you said, if at anything, it's probably worth watching that very last scene, which oh, is yeah. the details of just like, Hey. How do people and computers interact yep. uh, in, you know, the situation where it looks like the world's about to end? Yep. And I would be interested to see if someone made a good remake utilizing artificial intelligence. I think I'd be in. I think that's going to be the next, you know, fear-based movie drama to explore. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm starting to see some directors kind of explore that frontier but who knows maybe someday we'll make you'll see the big blockbuster artificial intelligence version of war games mm -hmm. yeah it's just a it feels like it would be i'm just imagining war games but everybody's just wearing vive headsets yeah <laughs> i mean technically you could argue the matrix i suppose yeah but <laughs> we won't talk about that third one though <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to talk about parts of the best second one either. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, that go ahead. That takes care of us for this week. Next week, we've got Sabrina's Choice. Sabrina, what did you bring for us? I brought you, and if you're arachnophobic, I don't recommend you listening to this one, but I'm bringing you <laughs> Eight-Legged Freaks. Well, you don't like uh, spiders either. I don't either, but this movie kind of helped assuage some of my fears just a little bit. Um because I'll have to, we haven't watched this one yet, but I think my biggest, the biggest thing that caused my fear of spiders was the fact that I watched Arachnophobia when I was really young. Oof, yeah. Not understanding it was a black comedy. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, yeah. you're a child. <laughs> now I understand that and it doesn't bother me. But Arachnophobia really messed me up. Yeah. Eight-legged freaks kind of made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> That's fair. I can see why. <laughs> All right, so we'll do some David Arquette next episode. Uh, for now, you can find us over at Saturday Friends Club or satfriendsclub.com, satfriendsclub on Twitter. We need to talk about Patreon because Patreon is a lovely place that you can go and help us out. And we've got a new patron! Woo! All right, so let's go ahead and give the love out to the regulars. Chuck, Dan, Francis, Item Crafting. Uh, roll down here, Phoenician and Rodea. Want to thank our longtime friend uh, from this podcast and one before of Nicole for joining Yay! in and becoming one of our patrons. Nicole, we miss you, even though you're all the way in Ohio. <laughs> yes, uh, Nicole, who also did help out on the uh, that other podcast that we did ages back. Yeah, um, she was on our special all female edition. Yeah, nice. of of the horse show. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, well, we will be back next week where we will talk about very large spiders. I think that <laughs> I think I could just leave it at that. Very large spiders. Um, we will see you next episode. Till then, sleep well, everyone.